there's been so many times where we can't do anything on the ambulance except for hold their hand. And that's what you do. You hold their hand. If you can make that fear go down, even in the slightest, you've done your job. Uh, I took the concept of sleeping so many minutes and then just hiking as far as I could. So a lot of times on my speed record, I would sleep right on the trail and then I would sleep till someone would walk by and then I'd wake up and they'd ask me basically if I was okay. And I was like, yeah, thanks, man. You just woke me up. I'm ready to go again. Humanity is one and there's only one way forward for everybody. Men, women, white, black, green, blue, uh, Muslim, Jewish, uh, Catholics. The only way forward is all together. You know, Jesse might not have ever gotten a college degree, Aaron, but Jesse was out doing something every day. He made a difference, and the outpouring of love has been phenomenal. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. As this episode is being released, Christmas has come and gone, so I want to say Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. I really hope that you were able to spend your Christmas with family or friends or somebody that you care about in your life. I just wanted to take a few minutes before the before this episode begins and thank a few people in my life. First of all, I want to say thank you to the people who are listening to the podcast because that's one of the reasons why I continue recording this podcast. Secondly, I want to thank the people who have helped me along the way, you know, in the building of the new set, maybe in the filming of the first few episodes of the video podcast, which is on YouTube. You can go check that out. I really started this podcast because I wanted to become a better communicator. I also wanted to be inspired by, by other people as well as inspire others. But this really wasn't the plan for this to, con to continue like this. You know, another person that I cannot forget to thank is my wife. I want to say thank you to my wife because, you know, when people are off playing around on the weekends, when people are sitting at home in the evenings, just hanging out and relaxing. I am obsessing. I'm, I, I'm, I tend to be an obsessive person. And so I'm obsessing about the podcast. I'm researching people who I want to have on the podcast. I'm researching the people who are on the podcast. And, uh, and I'm continuing to try to make the podcast more interesting for the listeners. And so, you know, thank you to my wife for continuing to put up with my insanity in all of this. But you know, I really would not be able to do this without her support and her standing behind me in all of this. Now, the new year is almost here. It is fast approaching, and I am really excited about the Simply Overcoming podcast in 2022. I already have some very exciting guests lined up for the next year, and I really am excited to see the video podcast grow and expand. Right now, we only have a few people watching on YouTube compared to Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, but uh, I'm excited to see that continue to grow. You know, and there's a lot of other projects that we're working on here at the Simply Overcoming Podcast. This is not just about the podcast. It's about so much more. And so as these things start to come out, I'm excited to be sharing them with you guys. But again, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. I really hope that the Simply Overcoming Podcast has been a benefit to you in 2021. And I hope that we can continue to bring inspiring and relevant stories to you to continue to inspire you and to help you grow in your spiritual walk, in your physical walk, in this life. Now, I want to jump into today's episode, and today I decided I needed to release a recap episode of some of my favorite conversations that I've had over the last year with some amazing people around the world. And so 
I really hope you enjoy this episode. It's just going to be a whole collage of short conversations, excerpts from some of the episodes from over the last year. So I hope you enjoyed today's episode. And as always, have a great day. We really want that awareness of what your first responders do for you. Um, oh, another uh, another statistic, um, I guess. Eighty percent of our EMS in the United States is volunteer, and so really. Mm -hmm. So if you think about it, all of the rural communities, they are all volunteer. Um, Even our rural department here in Missoula, Missoula Rural Fire Department, fantastic organization. They are half volunteer, half volunteer, half um, professional firefighters. The, the reason why it's such a big deal to help out with the mental um, status of our first responders is they are not getting compensated for this. They're not getting compensated for their um, services and they're coming out to some of the worst things that anybody can see. I know, you know, my, Um, my wife, my wife, Lexi, she worked with you. She's a paramedic. mm -hmm. And, and we talk about this, especially during this time of coronavirus. So many, so many people, mainstream media, people are talking about our nurses who are on the front lines, but there's not a whole lot of talk about the people who are actually entering the house that's full of trash, wading through the trash, pulling the person out of their own feces and hauling them to the hospital. I mean, that is really out there on the front lines. And I mean, that's, that's just in, that's just EMS. That's not even talking about, you know, all what all the police officers are having to go through during this time and, and all the firefighters. And it's just an incredible community. And these people care deeply. They love deeply. And, um, and there is a reason why people are in this, but we need to support our, our first responders and we need to show them the love and the care that they deserve and that they, that they need. And this is not something that you can go home and talk to people about it all the time. I, fortunately, my boyfriend is a veteran and he has seen just as bad of things as I have, if not worse, well, probably worse on most occasions. Um, but not everybody has that. Not everybody has a support that they can go home to and talk about things because they don't want to share that with their spouse. And it's something that it's the funniest thing. Cause I have never, I don't think I've ever met a group of pe- people who feel more So, and I'm going to maybe get a little bit teary on this because I, all of these people that I've worked with, all of the first responders that I've met, they just have a passion and you have to, because you don't make very much money in this business. I'm sorry. (laughs) No, that's, that's okay. I knew when I married my wife being in the, in the work that she's in, I, I really have a special one. Yeah. Yeah. It needs to be recognized and it's something that isn't, isn't recognized enough. And I will talk about, so I am not a paramedic. I'm an EMT. So thankfully I don't have to make decisions like Lexi has to make. I have no, I do not have a desire to be a paramedic um, because I have my passion being in the outdoors. And so, but I was on a call where there was a, um, a baby involved and 23 months old. So you still technically consider them a baby. And 
the impact that that call had on me um, for two years, like it has taken a long time for me to really come over the top of that call, um, especially since I'm a mom myself. And uh, I'm very empathetic, which sometimes I was wondering if that was going to be my downfall for this um, for this kind of work, but come to find out, I, cause I asked one day, I did ask one day, I said, I don't know how I'm ever going to not feel on some of these calls. And he goes, you're not ever supposed to stop feeling. And that was probably one of the most profound, simplest answers to that question that I've, that you could ever have, but you can't stop feeling because then you don't move forward on it. And so when it come, when it came to that, just, and the paramedic that I was working with on that call, just seeing his response and his reaction and everybody deals with all of their own emotional stuff differently. Uh, and some people keep it in and some people talk a lot more about it. And, but when it comes to, when it comes to the empathy side, I think first responders are probably some of the most empathetic people you'll ever meet. And it doesn't matter if they have to, if they only get paid $15 an hour, they're still going to be there for you. They're still going to, and they have some of the best bedside manner. I have, there's been so many times where we can't do anything on the ambulance except for hold their hand. And and that's what you do. You hold their hand and make sure that there is, if you can make that fear go down, even in the slightest, you've done your job. Mm. And so it's definitely a different world. And I think, I think community awareness is such a big, a big deal because you don't think about it until you do. You don't think about it until one day your mom is on the floor and you have to call 911 or your child is on the floor and you have to call 911, but they're going to be there whether or not they're being paid for it or not, they're going to be there. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's where I am so much more passionate than I ever, ever thought I would be about Mm -hmm. this. I, I, I can tell that you're so proud to be a part of the community. I just thank you for what you do. And, and thank you for all of the EMS workers out there, the first responders who are out there who show up when, when the community calls. That's incredible. And like you said, it's something that we don't think about because we are just so used to making that call and somebody shows up. Somebody always shows yeah. up. Beyond grateful to the people who are out there working 24-7 to keep our communities safe and to, to save the lives of so many people and to be there to hold the hand of that person in the back of the ambulance. I think this is kind of an interesting thing to share. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard how EMS started. I don't and know. I haven't. Are, did you know EMS was not started by hospitals? I did not. Take a guess of who EMS was started by. I would have no idea. The community? I, I don't know. The Department of Transportation. Really? Mm-hmm. And it was started in the 70s. So EMS is a baby. I mean, it's not something that's been, instead of, um, the, I mean, they used to 
just send uh, that's why okay if you look way back in the day what an ambulance looked used to look like it was a hearse because they used to just send hearses out there wow yeah and so ems was started by the department of transportation in order to try um, because of all of the accidents that were happening i did not know that so but. I guess another thing, like ambulance, most ambulance companies in the United States are privately owned. There's only a, there's a, not, a, not very many that are actually hospital owned. They're all privately owned. I'm glad you bring that up because that's really important for people to understand. Because mm-hmm. a lot of fire departments are owned by the city, right? Um, so fire departments are federally owned. Federally so- owned. You can get, um, with fire departments, you can get grants. And that's how all the volunteer fire departments have the ability to purchase the things that they can get. So um, fire departments are paid solely by your tax money. Um, And the fire department has so many different, um, so when they come out with levies, trying to make sure to um, have enough money to fund the um, the salaries of the fire departments and fund all of the trucks and everything like that, take into consideration the fact that all of these towns are growing and they need the money to be able to staff them. We run, so it's June 1st and just our ambulance company, company alone has run um, almost 5,000 calls already. And so, and we're small, like we're a smaller town compared to um, say Las Vegas or San Diego. And I I mean, where they have multiple ambulance companies, but the fire departments, they're running off of grants and they're going to be a lot of times every like, okay, so an ambulance runs with two people on it and a fire um, truck runs with three. And so, I mean, keep, or when you think about that, you're sometimes we're hauling out 400 pound people and we need help. And so there's no way that two of us are going to be able to get it. And sometimes it takes all five people to be able um, to get that person out. And so, so Kalispell is having some issues with um, levies are being um, denied and the fire department isn't getting the money to staff the way that they need to. And so that's kind of an interesting, that's a whole nother story, but that's an interesting situation. But just thinking about the fact that like when that comes up in your, in your thought process to make sure you realize that, Hey, when I need to call 911, I would like them to be there. Mm -hmm. And so I would like to fund that fire department to make sure that they are there when I need them. And so, um, and that goes for volunteer fire departments too. They just don't, I mean, depending on where that is, they don't have a call volume enough to where it's, um, they don't keep a um, staff on it, but I have never come across a volunteer fire department that isn't there pretty quick as soon as their pages come off. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, that's really important for people to understand a lot of fire departments, they're being paid by your taxes as well as the police department. So it's very different when it comes to ambulance services. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. that's something I had no idea about until Lexi started explaining that to me. I didn't know. And I'm sure most people out there have no idea that that's the case. And I think that's I think that's a big thing to kind of explain. I mean, one one piece of equipment that we have on our ambulance that is called it's called a life pack is like a twenty five thousand dollar piece of equipment. And that's not including everything else. I mean, that's a pretty 
a pretty major part of some things that we do. Um, that's the AED, that's the um, checking your heart on 12 leads and being able to transmit uh, the fact that we've got a patient that's having a STEMI to the hospital is a big thing because being able to have that team ready to go as soon as that person comes through the door because they already see the STEMI on the, on the transmission is, it's significant. So I would really like to transition and talk a little bit more about your speed record, you know, for, for people out there who have no concept in their mind of what it takes to beat uh, a speed record like this um, on the Appalachian trail, what kind of miles were you doing every day? Um, so when I first started the first day, I did 60.1, I believe I, um, I basically, I, I trained, uh, training is huge. So to do my main idea of that Appalachian Trail speed record, I did about 1,500 miles. So I did from Ghost Ranch south on the Continental Divide Trail, 700, 800 miles to the border. And then I hitchhiked, and it took me only one day to hitchhike, believe it or not, from the CDT Lordsburg all the way to the trailhead of the Pacific Crest Trail. And then I started going north. And then I got off at Sawmill Pass and um, it's right when you start the Sierras and stuff, it's not too far up there. It's beautiful going down through Sawmill Pass because um, not very many people do it. So then right after that, I was trying to make it all the way to Bishop Pass, but you know, there's always that cornice, that gnarly cornice. So there's very like few hikers that can get up and over that and drop down to Bishop. So I didn't want to take the chance and I definitely didn't have any ropes. And so I went out at Sawmill and it was still a little sketchy. Um, I was glissading down the pass for quite a while. And then uh, I dropped into 395 and then I hitchhiked up to Reno to fly out to the East coast. But mainly, yeah, it's, it takes a lot of training. I did. I feel like I did too much training. So really? Um, yeah. Explain like, that for me. Well, I just feel like, well, I was pushing it hard too. Um, because I was trying to make it closer to Reno before I started hitchhiking. And so I was pushing with a pretty heavy pack in through the Sierras and having cold gear. But I feel like about a thousand miles was more than enough for training. For me, it doesn't. But uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of mentally, it's very hard to uh, push yourself that hard and uh, wake up and have motivation and so a lot of the times I was, uh, I took the concept of sleeping so many minutes and then just hiking as far as I could and then sleeping for so many minutes. So a lot of times on my speed record, I would sleep right on the trail and then I would sleep till someone would walk by and then I'd wake <laughs> up and they'd ask me basically if I was okay. And I was like, yeah, thanks, man. You just woke me up. I'm ready to go again. But then every, like, maybe every week or two, then, like, I would just be completely drained. I'd, I'd have to sleep, like, 12 hours straight. Um, but for the most part, uh, for me, I did a lot of walking on my Appalachian Trail speed record where uh, you could get, like, a happy medium mix of running and then also walking. But, I mean, when I started on my Appalachian Trail speed record, I was still sending out food drops while I was hiking the Appalachian Trail. <laughs> so oh i sent out all my food jobs by myself and uh before i started hiking and then i still had a couple uh of 
resupplies I need to figure out while I was on trail doing the speed record too. So it was a little stressful. So basically the difference between a supported and an unsupported is you're completely on your own. You have to get yourself to town. You have to resupply on your own, get yourself back out to the trail and continue on your way. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So that really limits where you can resupply for food and then where you can ship food. And then also like not having a pacer, not having, um, yeah, wake up call or uh, like anyone just to give you water when you need water. I mean, sometimes you got to go off trail to get water. So it seems like the mental game would just be so much harder doing an unsupported because you really have nobody there. Definitely. Yeah. For the most part, uh, I would actually like, even though I wasn't like walking a super fast pace, I would run into people all the time on my speed record and just walk at two miles per hour and just talk to people. And they like, I, I always, it's kind of like what I did when I was walking, like any trail, I like to talk to people and see like their background life story a little bit, like how they grew up and like where they're at now, you know? And so I, I did that a lot when I was even doing my speed record, I would walk with people doing like two miles per hour, believe it or not. And <laughs> just like, just so I could talk to someone. Cause mentally, like I was, you just gotta like be able to, you know, you start to lose your mind. Yeah. When definitely. you don't talk to humans, you start to lose <laughs> your brain. I mean, I was, I was blowing back past tons of people, but yeah, I just got to find that happy medium too. Yeah. What are your thoughts on, uh, Timothy Olson? Have you been following his, his journey? So is it the guy that did the speed, uh, PCT? Yeah. Okay. So believe it or not, I, I, I don't even pay attention to speed records anymore <laughs> after like my incident. Yeah. Uh, but my buddy from Colorado hit me up. He's like, dude, are you serious? <laughs> and he like messaged me. I was like, okay, like I don't got time for this right now. So like two weeks later, I think it was like five days ago. I like looked up some stuff and I was, yeah, I, I, I haven't done much information on it. Um, but correct me if I'm wrong. He, he did lots of road walking because to get around the fire closers or he didn't even do road walking and he hitchhiked or took cars and then kept going. It's hard to say because they're, they're claiming that he now holds the speed record, the supported speed record. So I think he did road walking around, but whatever he did, it's supposedly legitimate. Yeah. See, how does that I mean, work? I mean, how does a trail, how, how does a record, how is a record legitimate if you have to do a whole lot of road walking? Yeah. I, I totally disagree with that. If it's not the trail, if it's not the same miles, it should not be the speed record. <clears throat> Talk to me about the politics of all of this. I feel like there's some politics behind this behind um, speed records. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, I've, I've gotten out of it a lot now, but in 2017, right after I went through all that craziness, I mean, <clears throat> I was getting hit from every side and I mean, they did a bit on me. I can't even remember what her name was, but she like interviewed me and then she didn't get back to me. And then she posted stuff that wasn't even true is. And then like the judges for the FKT is just, I mean, they're not even agreeing on the same rules and the same concepts. So I don't know who like they're going through, but it's obviously like they're letting people do this and then they're letting people do that. And then 
now they're doing a bunch of other stuff too. So like I haven't paid attention since 2017 too much, but did it kind I, of give you a distaste in your mouth for all of it? Yeah, definitely. Like, especially how I was treated, it was it was way over the top. Um like I I went in there, I did everything I needed to do. Um my my GPS, my spot device broke literally three times in my life. So now I have a Garmin in reach um mini. Um, but yeah, my spot device and even when I was doing that, like they had absolutely nothing to disprove like my speed record, but they were just like trying to bash me constantly. And um, so they came out with like tons of information. Um, Cause I would, I talked to one guy and then he like tried to disprove everything. And then I was like, he came up with like this one sheet and he's like, well then tried to disprove it. And I was like, well, I can, but like, I still have it in my Google documents, but like, <laughs> I'm just over it. It's. It must have taken a little, a little bit, a little bit to get over that one, though. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, it didn't help that a chick cheated the year before, and then um, trying to get sponsors, and then the other uh, female with her saying that she hiked the AT and the PCT on, on a, a robot leg. You remember <laughs> that lady? I do remember hearing about her just just briefly it was it was on nbc nighttime it was on national news man and so like this company was like trying to like sell her stuff and that's that's how i took it and so like she said she did it but i mean you know the pct she claimed she did it in the snow with her like robot leg and like you're not you you can't do that not in snow man (laughs) no no that's a hard one to believe it was blatantly obvious if you know anything about it and it was on like but yeah trying to sell some products basically and the thing is like when i did my speed record i already did the pct the at and the cdt i already did my triple crown and i did the gdt and the spear hiking trail so it's not my first like I do it the right way and you know tons of people like I've ran into you know they knew me and stuff I talked to tons of people on the Appalachian Trail I mean there's tons of people like what are you talking about like he clearly did it you know oh totally I think there's a lot of people who were definitely on your side with this but the politics of it just really seemed it really did not seem in your favor whatsoever yeah so basically right when I finished I was like uh okay i finished <laughs> and uh peter bachwin was overseas internationally and he doesn't even make a comment to me he's like well i'm overseas like i can't do this or that i'm on vacation I'm like okay whatever and then they finally get back to me a little bit and then they like try like discrediting me it was just like it didn't feel like i broke a speed record it felt like i was being interrogated constantly because like, yeah, what I went through was no one should ever go through that. Yeah. Oh, that's awful. Well, just so you know, there was a lot of people out there cheering you on, man. And when you finished finish that up, man, we were definitely, <clears throat> definitely excited about what you had done. Yeah, dude. It was yeah. pretty crazy. Here, I, I'm going to talk about Argentina, right? Um, when you turn on TV, when they... When you see international news, even local news, everything is scary. You know, uh, we live in the worst in the worst place on earth, and we live in the worst plan possible planet. People are disgusting. The world is horrible. Everybody hates us. 
as Argentinians. And uh, I believed that in a sense, you know, I left home very scared of, I didn't even know what, but I was full of fear uh, of people, of everything I heard of media. And um, then when I started traveling that same, the first day I started, I left home 10 blocks away from home, the car broke, broke up. And I didn't know anything about mechanics because I came from the office. And 10 minutes later, someone came, helped me to push the car out of the, the main road. And then another guy just came out of nothing saying like, hey, what's going on? How can I help you? A guy that I didn't know and I wasn't expecting at all. He went under the car by himself. He fixed the thing, which I didn't know what it was. And he said, okay, man, you're ready to go to Alaska. And I was like, what? What do you mean? That's it? And you're leaving without... He didn't even ask for money. He didn't even ask for anything else. He said, like, hey, have a good day. Take care. And I was shocked. You know, that was my first... Not even my first day. That was my first 10 minutes traveling. And then is when I, that's the same moment when I realized, okay, this... I think this will be big. Hmm. Talk to me about the bus. Clarita is the name of the bus. Clarita. Yeah, yeah. Clarita comes from Clara, which is Claire in English. Um, Clara is uh, my younger sister. So Clarita is in, it's, a, it's a, the name after her. And um, yeah, it's a bus. Honestly, people think like I wanted that bus because it represents the hippie movement or this or that. Uh, I, wasn't, I wasn't a hippie. I actually wanted to buy something else, but I didn't have the money for it. So pretty much Clarita is the only thing I could afford. Then with time, this car became super expensive because it kind of became a trend or whatever. But yeah, all I needed was a little roof where I could sleep. And uh, yeah, I just put a mattress and nothing else. And I just, you know, left. Wow. You left full with of fear. full of fear, full of fear, full of fear. Wow. Absolutely. So I, I'm interested to hear your, your take on the fear that you had when you left and how you look at the world differently now than you than you did when you left. But you left with 1,500 US dollars around there, correct? Exactly, that, okay. that's the number. Okay. Which here is a lot of money, here is a lot of money. And then traveling, I realized it's nothing. But what I always say, especially to other travelers who write and, and they wanna know because everybody, Everyone wants to know about money. Money is the main thing when, when they see you traveling. It's like, where do you get the money from? How much money you spend on this, on that? On... And uh, it's not important how much money you have. It's important which tools you have to make money. You don't need $1,500. You need every day $10, $15 when you're traveling. If you have $100, better. If you have $3 million, of course, welcome. <clears throat> but it's not, it's not true that you need to have a lot of money to travel. You know, and even if you start traveling with a million dollars, you spend it. So it's better to have the tools, which I didn't have, um, than the money, because the tools help you to make money. So of course I learned all this on the way uh, because I was I wasn't a hippie, like I said. It wasn't hard. It wasn't easy for me to show up in a park and like you know juggle a bit or paint or do some music and you know get money. So I I studied a business a career for the office. So, yeah, that was part of the of the challenge as well, how to make money. So, okay, so you leave Argentina. You actually went to the southern tip of Argentina, and then you headed north. 
just give me an overview of, you know, the places that you have been. This- All right. So I started, like you said, I started in Argentina. I went down south to Ushuaia, which is the southern city in the continent. And then I crossed to Chile. And then I went to Brazil. I went back to Argentina to cross to Brazil for the World Cup in 2014, football, soccer World Cup. And then I crossed through Paraguay, Bolivia, Peru, Ecuador, Colombia, Panama, Costa Rica, Nicaragua, Honduras, El Salvador, Guatemala, Belize, Cuba, Mexico, States, Canada, Alaska, and then down to Canada, to the States and to Mexico, where I shipped, where we shipped the bus to, to Europe. How do you feel about the amount of the number of people who you have inspired along the way? You have over 36,000 followers on Instagram. And my guess is that a lot of those people are people who you have met along the way, at least some of them. I mean, you've met a lot of people who have been following you. And I know that you've inspired a lot of people. How does that make you feel being, um, being an inspiration to other people? I hear you now and I, I get very emotional because I meet, I, I miss a lot, a lot of the people that I met, very simple people. And uh, yeah, when you say uh, a lot of people got inspired by my story, but what we are doing, I don't believe it really. I mean, it's, I don't believe it myself. You know, I don't see myself inspiring people because at the end, I'm the one who's taking from people. Like I'm the one who's getting inspiration from different people. Like every person I meet, I never see it. I'm giving, I see it that I'm receiving from these people. You are one of them. Uh, you and all your crew, when I met you all and, uh, you know, the more people you meet, the more stereotypes you break, the more barriers, mental, mental borders that you, that you break. Mm. And, uh, I never, I never th- saw myself as somebody like inspires other people even though sometimes i hear it and it sounds very nice i guess i'm not used to that uh but the truth is that i'm the one who's gaining from people in a sense you know taking in a in a good way of course uh people taught me a lot you know i left this place full of hate in in when i was living here because when someone does something that he or she doesn't like at one point you will you will not like you will not love and I left home full of hate. You know, I didn't want to see anybody. I just wanted to be out. And then little by little, people taught me how to love because they were showing me their love. And you cannot love if you are not if you don't if you don't feel loved. And that's how I felt traveling. You know, people, everyone I met, they were showing love, respect, they were kind. So at one point, I guess that's what I started learning from them. And that's what I'm trying to also give back to other people. So yeah, I get very emotional when it comes to people and some like particular stories because there are some characters out there that I tell Olga um, that I wish I was rich just to like put them all together in one dinner, you know, like the, 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 the last dinner, you know, I wish I could fly them all down here and say, hey, this is my country. Here you have a massive Argentinian barbecue. Eat. It's all on my own. You know, that's the only reason why I would say in life I would love to be rich, you know people who don't even have passports, people who don't even have a, what I'm saying, passports. Some people don't even have toilets, you know, out there. How has the last few years helped to shape your perception of humanity? 
I, I think there's only as a, as a humanity is one, and there's only one way forward for everybody: men, women, white, black, green, blue, uh, Muslim, Jewish, and uh, Catholics. The only way forward is all together as a species. Um, with the other species, we're not more than any other species out there. And uh, I'm very positive, and we have these conversations here, especially, well, because of our travels, people ask me all the time, like, are you positive or negative with the future? I'm very positive. Um, and it's because of what I see, or what I saw, or what I experienced. And then people say like, yeah, but look, in Iraq, this and this is happening. And it's like, okay, but you're not in Iraq. You don't know what's happening in Iraq. You're in Argentina. And here, they're showing you the news of Cuba or Iraq or, or not even Africa because no one cares. But, you know, if you're in Argentina, why don't you see what's going on in Argentina and take care of that and take action of that? You know, it seems that you go to Iraq and they're talking about the news of Argentina. You go to Argentina, they're talking about the news of Iraq. And everything is to not see what's going on next to us because this is what we can do. What we can change is what it's next to us. You know, I, I'm not saying that I don't care, but the issues between Palestine and Israel, for example, which there's nothing we can do from here. I'm not saying it's not happening. I'm not saying uh, who's wrong, who's right. But I'm saying we are here. I'm here. I can change for good. I can do a change here. So let's focus on what we have, on what we do, what we are here. And uh, based on what I saw that people did with us at that moment, at that place, I'm pretty positive. Mm. Yeah. Let's help these people get over what they're dealing with. Because as we know, three quarters or more of all of the homeless people is from drug and alcohol abuse. Yeah. That is why they are in that situation. And so, so it's a sickness. That is a sickness and they need help. And so my answer is we definitely shouldn't be rounding them up and putting them all in jail. That doesn't seem like it makes any sense or prison or prison or jail, but you know, there needs, there does need to be some accountability and, uh, and we need, we need, um, we need facilities to help these people out. But, but here's the thing. If you're a Christian, they always say that, that we are the church, right? The people are the church. Also, the Simply Overcoming sign is about ready to fall off the wall. And so this, okay. has, happened, this has happened three times now. It's okay. And, We're going to continue uh, to go despite the sign. We are going to keep going despite <laughs> the sign. But um, yeah, <laughs> so what was I saying? Uh, we are the church, mm -hmm. right? And so you may say, man, my city needs more facilities to help these homeless people. Why aren't you doing something? Yeah. Yes. You're, you're, you're saying my city needs to create some new facilities so that we can help these homeless people. Well, guess what? Mm -hmm. Things don't get done without people. So if yeah. you really want to help these people, if you have a heart for these people, then get out there and start helping them yes. there are there are already some facilities these facilities exist yes. help them get into a facility or help them get a job if you want to help them and here's the thing if they don't want help then there is nothing that you can do and maybe that's where a professional comes in now there's the word because that is the professional so i have gotten myself into situations i am not a trained social worker yeah, do you want to just yeah, go I'm over there I'm yeah you go fix it i'm not a trained social worker aaron and so i don't know how to deal with a lot of these things uh, that that people have needs with um but there are people who are trained to do this and so uh like here in our town 
at the Christian Aid Center, there is, it's a wonderful organization. Uh, Portland has a Portland Rescue Mission, uh, and, um, and there are many different people who can help where I am, I am not trained to do that. Mm-hmm. I can see someone who has a need, and I can know that there's a need. But like with Taylor, where the nativity is, and where the Christian Aid Center is probably, what, two miles or a little bit more away. And so he needed a ride closer. By you driving him to Taco Bell, that was closer, and you were willing to do that. Mm-hmm. So you took him there, and you dropped him as close to the Christian Aid Center as and, and whatever rescue mission, you know, mm-hmm. just take, name your pick. But in ours, our town, it's a Christian Aid Center. And he could then walk from there to get, get the help that he needed. Yep. And that's where I might not know what to do, but I know who to call. I know, and I that maybe goes back to being aware, of being aware of what is in your town, mm. being aware what departments, what churches, what... Um, organizations do have help because in our town we have a thing called Blue Mountain Action Council that helps people uh, find housing. Uh, we have Helpline. Uh, we have a free medical clinic, SOS Medical Clinic, where uh, dentists and doctors they volunteer their time to come in and provide uh, medical care for people. We have the thrift store that I mentioned that mm-hmm. helped us with the baby Jesuses, um, and we want to say thank you to some person donated those dolls. Yeah. Um, but at that thrift store, people can come in and say, you know what, I need to clean up my act here and they will take you through the store and they will outfit you. That's amazing. That's yeah. amazing. And so maybe I think that there are situations where people legitimately just don't know that those facilities right. exist. exist. So, you know, if you do want to help a homeless person, maybe let them know that these things exist and uh, and hope that hope that they want help. Right. But it, it comes a step further. And this is where it has to start inside. It has to start inside with having some gumption. And that's where, despite whatever has happened to these people, and again, I don't know Taylor's whole story. You know, we were with him for an hour or whatever. I um, mean, he didn't talk that much. Um, but you have to make a decision and make up your mind to do something. So after, as I mentioned, after I said goodbye to you and Taylor, I went to this grocery store and there was a marquee. So Jesse was a 58-year-old man in our our town who was um, probably by many standards people might have said uh, developmentally challenged. Jesse was the ambassador of our town. Jesse rode a three-wheeled bike. Jesse wore a, a neon vest. And it was Jesse who was there to help with you with your cart. He was the one who was smiling. You would wave, honk, I'd honk and wave at Jesse. Well, Jesse passed away last week and our whole town, and I'm getting shivers just telling you about it. Our whole town has loved this man and he has loved all of us. Mm-hmm. You know, Jesse might not have ever gotten a college degree, Aaron, but Jesse was out doing something every day. He was on the same street. And so for me to have this experience of having no baby Jesus in the manger, you and I meeting Taylor, to be able to go and share with about all of this with these two employees and then to find out that Jesse had passed away. You know, Jesse didn't have all of the things that, you know, many of us are blessed with, but he made a difference in our town. Mm. He made a difference and the outpouring of love has been phenomenal. Mm. So, and back to panhandling, um, 
so I've been blessed to have lived in many countries and I've been able to uh, travel to many countries, many, um, in, uh, many third world countries. And there have been so many panhandlers, um, and so many sad, sad situations. And I know that as I say this, Aaron, you've traveled as well and, and you've seen many people in other countries. Uh, there was one man though, and, um, he was on the streets of Hong Kong and he, uh, his torso, uh, his legs were very small. His arms were very small. He was actually probably no more than maybe, I don't know, three feet tall, maybe even that. But you know what? This man was on an overwalk, a crosswalk in Hong Kong. All these hundreds of people going by, shopping, cars, all of this commotion. And this man had a microphone and he had a little boom box and he had a, a, a dish there, a metal dish for putting coins in. So you might have thought this man was panhandling. But you know what? This man was singing in Chinese and all these people walked by Aaron. And here he is down on the ground and all these people walked by. But this man was doing a job, the only job that he could do. And he was there singing to all of us. And the important thing is, is that we see people, even if you smile at somebody, you know, you might not know what just smiling can do for somebody. And I'm blessed with seven fingers. I was born this way. So I see people because I've got something different going on the outside. And many of us have something different going on the outside. And some of us have something going different on the inside. And some of us have both. But this man, I connected with him. He's singing away in Chinese. I got down on my knee and I put my hands out so he could see that I had something going on too. And that was a connection that I had. I'm not fluent in Chinese. He's probably not fluent in English. He kept singing. And that was a connection that we had. So I think to bring this all around, you know, there might not be something that you and I can maybe have done more for Taylor, but you and I saw him and we did something. We tried. All right, everyone. I hope you enjoyed that episode. If you have a story or if you know somebody that has a story of overcoming impossible odds and you think that that story would be good on the Simply Overcoming podcast, I would really like to hear from you. You can send me a personal text message. You can call my personal phone number. It's 208-718-2276. Reach out to me. Let's have a conversation. I love one-on-one conversations with people. And maybe you don't want to be on the podcast, but maybe you want to reach out anyway and talk to me about an episode that you heard, something that inspired you. Reach out to me. I'd really love to hear from you. You know, one of the things that has continued to push me forward in the creation of this podcast are the people out there, and you know who you are, the people who have reached out to me personally through Instagram and through Messenger on Facebook and just thanked me for creating the podcast and and all of the episodes that have been such a benefit to them in their life. So I'd love to hear from you. Reach out to me. Let's have a conversation. So happy new year, and I will talk to you next time in 2022.